Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons called It's Not What You Think. And in this series, our youth minister, Joe Nolan, is going to be taking on some of the misconceptions that we have about our faith. So in this week's episode, he's going to be talking about the fact that Christianity is not always what we think it is. In our next episode, he'll be talking about the fact that the Bible isn't always what we think it is either. So let's try to shift our perspective here a little bit and rethink what it means for us to be a Christian. And let's get right into this episode sermon. So this morning, I want to start out by reading a couple of stories uh, to you guys. Both stories are of someone finding something that is more than it seems. So here we go. Four bucks. That's all this guy had to dig out of his wallet at a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, that morning in 1989 to buy one old, odd picture frame. He handed over the $4 and frankly didn't care one bit about the painting itself. A dismal little country scene dabbed across a grimy, torn canvas with a signature he couldn't even make out. It was the gilded and ornate frame that had caught his eye. So the flea market seller took his four bucks with absolutely no idea that uh, the frame and the painting were not all that he thought it was. When the guy got home, that crudely made frame pathetically fell apart into his hands, and it was unsalvageable. So great. Four bucks wasted on a piece of garbage. But when the unsalvageable frame fell apart in his hands and fell away from that torn canvas, there between that slashed canvas and the wood backing of the crumbled frame was this crisp, folded-up piece of paper about the size of a business envelope. He unfolded it slowly, ran his finger across the inked calligraphy. Couldn't be what it read. Or was it? When a friend who collected historical memorabilia dropped by, he took that crisp piece of paper, unfolded it slowly, and for him to take a look at. And then he laughed a bit when his friend shook his head, mouth agape. Well, what do you think, he asked. His friend simply replied, get it appraised. And it turns out that folded up piece of paper, one-tenth of an inch thick, had fallen out between that torn canvas and that falling apart frame, was printed by a guy named John Dunlap on July 4th of 1776. See, it turns out that it was only one of uh, 500 copies of the first printing of the Declaration of Independence. Only 23 copies at this point were known to still exist, of which only a mere two were privately owned. And now there's this one, a flea market find. That copy was auctioned off on June 4th, 1991, when, and when the f- gavel finally sounded, sounded sold, that four-buck flea market find turned into a $2.4 million find. And that's not the only time that something like this has happened. And here's the second story. So this guy named Stan Caffey, who was a local pipe fitter, who liked to look for odd and old things, especially at garage sales. In the mid-90s, he found an old stained parchment of the Declaration of Independence, and paid $2 for it. He purchased it to hang in his Donaldson garage where Stan liked to work on bikes. Nine years later, Stan Caffey married Linda, and Linda thought that Stan was a pack rat who kept everything in his garage. So Linda pushed him to clean out the garage while they were combining households. After a year, they decided to donate that parchment and several other items to a local thrift store. 
Linda took the decoration, an antique table, a shower head, and a faucet to the thrift store in Nashville. And when she took it, she told the thrift shop that it might be worth something and they should check it out. Almost one year later, a guy named Michael Sparks was scouring through the Music City thrift store and spotted that Declaration of Independence. He paid $2.48 for the copy, and he brought it home. Michael, a music equipment technician, did some homework in his spare time, and he soon discovered that the parchment turned out to be an official copy of the Declaration of Independence, and it was one of 200 copies that were commissioned by John Quincy Adams when he was Secretary of State in 1820. He thought that he might be able to get about $100,000 out of the document, and he put it up for auction a month later with Rayner's Historical Collectible Auctions in Burlington, North Carolina. Six bidders contended for the document, and the winning bid was $477,650. It's amazing what people can find at flea markets and how we can overlook really small things that turn into big deals later on. But as we're talking about seeing more than you think there is, we have to remember that there is more to being a Christian than just accepting Christ. You see, years ago in the late 80s, early 90s, and even into the early 2000s, there was a huge push for bringing people to Christ. However, almost 20 years, and over the last 20 years, there's even been an even larger surge of people walking away from the church that are my age and younger because what they were promised wasn't being upheld by the church that they joined. And what were they promised, you might ask? Well, uh, a few things were popular at the time, and most of those people, including myself, were tricked into joining. And yeah, I do mean tricked, because there really is no other word to say it. We were promised a good life, a guaranteed spot in heaven, and a life without suffering. We were told that everything would get easier in the life, that God would hand us the world if we only accepted him into our hearts. Not follow him. Just accept him. And that was it. And the result of that became that the promises that were made, well, those are promises that were impossible to uphold. And many people were saved, and then they were never talked to again. The church had bought into the idea that quantity was better than quality. So I actually understand today why so many people that professed faith in Jesus then no longer claim to believe in him. And if I'm being honest... If it wasn't for one person in high school for me, I would probably be the same way. Because I was one of those kids that went to one of those big evangelistic programs back in middle school. And I walked down and I said the prayer. And then I walked off and filled out that little card that asked for somebody to contact me for more information about what just happened. And then I never heard anything ever again from that program or any of the local churches that were supposed to be helping out with this. I felt, as I'm sure others feel as well, that once I was a Christian, I no longer mattered. And at the time, I was in sixth grade, so I didn't care that much then because I didn't understand what was going on. And it wasn't until much later that I learned what all of that really meant. See, I told you that there was one person in my life that changed all of this for me, and he's a guy that I had known for a week at the time, back in high school, who came up to me and told me, he didn't ask me, he told me that I was coming with him to his youth group that night. 
Now, before that sends off any weird red flags or anything, uh, I had just joined the drumline of my high school marching band my sophomore year of high school. Uh, and the guy who had told me I was going was an upperclassman who was actually in charge of me in band, and he plays our quad drums, you know, those drums with the four things in front of you. Um, and so he had come up and literally told me I was coming with him whether I liked it or not. So after I asked my parents, and they said yes, uh, I went with them to that youth group, and I actually discovered what being a Christian was really about. See, I learned so much from that youth minister about how to really live as a Christian. He hadn't bought into that sunshine and unicorns Christianity that so many people were preaching at the time. And it was there that I first learned that it wasn't enough to accept Christ. You actually have to choose to follow him as well. Now, with that being said, does accepting Christ get you into heaven? Yes. However, there is more to being a Christian than just going to heaven. There is more to being a Christian than just going to heaven. And that is what I learned during my time with that youth group. It's where my faith grew, and I was one of the lucky ones to discover that there is more to it than just accepting Jesus and believing that everything is going to be all right. See, being a Christian doesn't mean freedom from suffering. On the contrary, I think uh, as Christians that sometimes we suffer more because of that. But freedom from suffering was never promised to us. In fact, there are only really a few promises that we can fully rely on from God. One is that he is always with us. He keeps telling us constantly. Another one that he has promised us that he is coming back. And another still is that beyond this life, we have an eternal one with him waiting for us. And there are others as well, but these three promises are what connect to what we're talking about most today. See, being a Christian comes with so much more responsibility than just saying a prayer. Paul, the apostle, uh, traveled all over the Mediterranean world trying to teach those ideals to the churches that he wrote to. In the book of Colossians, uh, Paul actually says this in chapter 3 about living a Christian life. And here's what he says. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, Put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this description of living a Christian life is a little more complicated than just accepting Jesus into our hearts, isn't it? It's actually more like letting Jesus take control of our hearts. Now, in this letter to the Colossians, Paul is writing to encourage the believers inside the city. And believe it or not, Paul had actually never met the Colossians. He actually only knew of them through another man who Paul had sent there named uh, Epaphras. 
And through the meeting of Epaphras in Rome, Paul learned that the Colossians were dealing with a lot of the same problems as a lot of the other new churches were as well. But they were also adding stuff to the truth. Paul's letter was sent to encourage them and to let them know that they actually were doing enough and that through Christ they had all they needed for the work that they were doing. So this passage which you just read, it's not so much about correcting the Colossians. Uh, it's actually more of an encouragement to live the life that God had intended for us to live. And there is so much that we can unpack from just this small little passage. It's like an instruction manual for living a, a fully holy life. See, verse 12 alone tells you that being a Christian is more than just a confession of faith. It's a lifestyle change. It's almost a complete 180 from what the world is like now. We have to have compassion and understanding and patience and humbleness at all times to be where God intended us for us to be. That's hard. It's hard to humble ourselves before others in a world that goes, look what I can do. It's hard to have compassion for people who repeatedly commit the same sins. It's hard to be patient with drivers who drive too slow or don't turn on a turn signal. Okay, that, that last one's probably a little more personal than you like, but you, you get the point. Because of the conditioning of the world that we live in, those attributes are becoming harder to find in people. But it's exactly what we are called to have. It's exactly the traits that we are supposed to nurture and grow within ourselves. And then if that wasn't enough, verse 13 tells us to forgive. To forgive each other. And there's no stipulation on what we are called to forgive, only that we are to do it. Verse 14 tells us to put on love, to be in perfect unity with each other. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome if we could all just get along? Now, I do have to brag on you guys a bit, because to be honest, I've never been part of a church that is more together and in sync with the staff and the direction that this church has needed to go. So when I say or ask that, can't we all just get along, I am talking to the larger population of the world. Maybe not the whole world, but at least the, the Christians inside of this world. Because to be honest, it would be awesome if the church were able to come together again in unity for Christ as one whole church. Because at that point, there would be nothing that could stop us in spreading the word of God around the world. Which actually kind of leads us into verse 15 of coming together, where it is in search for peace. Or the Hebrew word for it is shalom. And the Mercer Bible Dictionary actually describes shalom as this. It's a, it's a vision of peace and spiritual well-being that was grounded in covenantal relationship with Yahweh and was reflected in all dimensions of life, economic, political, biological, and religious. It's the idea that shalom is what happens when everything lines up the way it was meant to. It is seeking to be back in a place in the garden before it was ruined by an unidentified fruit of the Old Testament or seeking to go back to a world that existed before sin entered our lives. It is what Christ gave back when he died and he rose again. And it is that peace that should be governing our hearts and our minds. This passage was a reminder and an encouragement to keep doing what we're doing and to make sure that we're doing it the way that Christ intended for us. That everything that we do here is for Christ for God. 
not for us. That it is all about bringing people to Christ and helping them grow as Christians. It's about seeking the quality over the quantity. Growth in faith over our growth in numbers. I mean, Christ didn't say, say my name and you'll be saved. No, he said, follow me. Follow me and I will show you the way. It's not a one-time phrase. It's something that continuously happens. Showing us the way to everlasting life. Being a Christian, it's not always what you think. It's not a club that you join and sit in the back and, and do absolutely nothing the entire time. To being a Christian is following. It's an action. And it entails so much more than just saying a specific prayer. It's so much more than bowing our heads and closing our eyes and going, let's see who wants to accept Christ today. It's a journey towards peace. It's a journey towards shalom. It's a journey to be back at Christ's side when we finally do get to go and see him in heaven. And it's not what you think. Is so much more. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come to you today and thank you for your grace and your love in this sometimes difficult world. Remind us of who we are meant to be and how we are meant to act. Bring us together in love as one church for you and help to become more patient and compassionate towards others, especially our brothers and sisters in you. Continuously remind us that you are with us and that we can look forward to an eternal life with you after this one is ended. Thank you for your love and your guidance always. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has challenged you to really think about what it means for you to be a Christian. Because being a Christian, it's about so much more than just saying a prayer or even being saved. Being a Christian is about committing your life to follow Jesus. Well, in our next episode, our youth minister, Joe Noland, is once again going to be tackling another misconception that we have about our faith. And he's going to be talking about the Bible. And we'll see how the Bible isn't necessarily what we think it is. So we hope that you'll tune in next time when our next episode drops. As always, that drops on Tuesday morning. If you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.